I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Dave Hanready and there will be no popcorn. Welcome to episode 27 of the No Encore Music and Movies podcast. It's all about Bill and Ted facing the music on this one. As ever, I'm joined by David Higgins, who's wearing a gorgeous roll neck, not a turtleneck, even though that's what it looks like to me. Roll neck, turtleneck. It's all about keeping warm in winter and looking well. Which you're doing quite resplendently. We also welcome back Norma Howard. She's hey, back. Hello. Yay. How's it going? I did myself a clap. <laughs> back. Well, you know, it's it, it has been some time and we're glad to have you back for a film that I don't know if you enjoyed, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. I guess, first of all, we'll get into what we've been watching. And Norma, why don't you go first? Because we haven't heard from you for so long. What have you been watching in the last few weeks or so? So I had previously mentioned, I think, that I've been watching Dark. So I have finished Dark. So that was the TV series on Netflix, a German TV series. I know Higgs had watched all of it. Um, it's 
absolutely fantastic. I would highly recommend it to anyone other than like it's the final season was like it's very, very high scientific concept, I guess. There's a lot in it and there's a lot to unpack. I don't know if I fully understood everything that was going on, but I tried and I enjoyed the ride (laughs) to get there. So, um, yeah, that was really, really good. And then I started season two of The Mandalorian. It's as good as the first. Another definite recommend. So, so good. I... I just love every second of it. The production design is gorgeous. The uh, the cameos are lovely as well. The story is moving on really, really nice. So absolutely love it. Something I did not love, in fact, hated, was The New Mutants. Don't ever watch it. It's an absolute bag of shit. <laughs> How bad is this? Because this, this one was delayed for, what, two uh, years, like maybe two more? two years. Because even, um, what is her name, Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones is still so young in it. Even though, like, she's obviously now, like, 24, 25. She's really, really young in it. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy is in it, who's generally, like, I would, from what I've seen of her, a really great actress. Um, and she's just really interesting roles. She's terrible in this but like (laughs) honestly does not have much to work with the script is atrocious the story is so boring the production design is disgusting to look at (laughs) it's just (laughs) so boring um just uh, don't bother um another one that's like doesn't look as bad but i i probably enjoyed more than the new mutants but still did not like a lot so this is from a little while ago was rebecca so ben wheatley it's Ben Wheatley, um, starring Lily James and Army Hammer. Um, I was just really bored. I thought, because I've never seen the original Rebecca, so I actually think I will go back and watch that because seemingly it's a much better version. I hope it is because this Rebecca was just really boring. It like, it looked beautiful at certain parts at other stages it just kind of all looked a little bit bland I thought it would be a bit more horror-y or a bit more tense or a bit more scary kind of spooky vibes and it wasn't I just thought like the story in itself as just a straightforward drama isn't enough to carry it through to the end you don't care about any of the characters and I don't think Lily James and Army Hammer had a lot of chemistry. I felt like, I don't know if you guys have seen Rebecca. I, I don't want to ruin the end of it or anything for anyone. But like, they just, it, for what was there, it didn't seem worth it for her to stick by him. I don't know. It was just, I, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. I didn't get much out of it. Yeah, I, I haven't watched this yet. I have it. I have it on a list of a, a twenty twenty catch up to get to. I've seen the, the Laurence Olivier Hitchcock one way way back. It is very very good. I I don't really understand Ben Wheatley. He's he's an actor or sorry director that I think I like the idea of more than I like the reality of. Like I'm I'm a big fan of Kill List. I know a movie Dave really has a a, a distaste for, but kind of everything else he's done. I find very, very hard to engage with, very, not confrontational, but just like, I don't know the way into it. I don't know what to do. You know, when I watch a movie like A Field in England, uh, Sightseers kind of left me, you know, the Alan Partridge shrug and, you know, even High Rise, which is a movie that looked great, 
and it just I don't know it, I I didn't quite get where it was going so like this is such a bizarre thing to do for him um and I think now like he's kind of had these attempts of kind of I don't know being esoteric and what what is it he's he he's he's making the sequel to the Meg now, isn't it? That's that's what, yeah. where Ben Wheatley's going, which makes no sense to me prior, whatsoever. Prior to that, he was announced for Tomb Raider two as well, which I guess has been shelved temporarily because of the ongoing pandemic. But like, they appear to be the next two films on his slate. And yeah, listen, I think Killers is good up to a point. That point being the ending for the most part. It has atmosphere. It has ideas. But generally, I'm not a huge fan. High Rise, I did like, but um, I would never revisit it. And I, I think I've said before, but like High Rise, I think holds the record for the amount of walkouts I ever saw at a film. I counted 10 people during the course of the film uh, from start to finish walking out of that movie, which I was just like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> That's gas, because I actually, I I liked High Rise. I thought it was at least, yeah, like interesting to look at. It's got that unbelievable cover of ABBA SOS. So good. It's a, I never say this band name right, so I'm not going to commit it to recording so someone else has to say the band name. Portishead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I called him Portishead for like years. It could That's be. Right, I've right. heard both. I, I, I never got the definitive article, but it is a stunning, stunning cover. And for that alone, and yeah, I, I, like, it's I think great. Right. It looks unbelievable as well. It's just there's something kind of seedy and dirty about most of the films that he makes, which I don't enjoy. But like, I don't know. I mean, Rebecca, I, I saw nothing but bad reviews for this, like proper one or two out of five across the board, whether it's on Letterboxd or Professional or just people I know. Everyone's being like, this is garbage. And it's like, oh, OK, I guess in that case, I will happily avoid what you've been watching, Higgs. Um, so... I won't get too much into uh, my my five star November, which I think I mentioned last time, because that will just be me listing off movies and going, "Well, that was great." You know, Inside Lewin Davis, still great. If you if you want to hear more on that, go back to our episode from from last year. Um, but again, I think I mentioned I've been trying to catch up on movies that came out this year, so I've watched a couple. Uh, I watched Ava, which is. The latest movie starring Jessica Chastain, it is a a very, very bland action movie directed by Tate Taylor, he of The Help and uh, the the girl on the train, the woman on the train, something of a, a similar title to that. Um, I was watching this movie just going, what has happened to Jessica Chastain? Like, I, I don't begrudge anyone a paycheck. Like, the, the idea of selling out is just like the dumbest concept to people. Like, get the money where you can. But, um, I recently was kind of like talking about a most violent year. And I think off the back of watching Inside Lewin Davis, cause, you know, Oscar Isaac has had like a bit of a middling back half of the, you know, the 2010s where he started and you're like, oh, this guy's like the best actor out there. He's picking the best projects. And then it's kind of like get lost in Star Wars, make a really bad X-Men movie. Um, and Chastain, who, you know, is kind of linked to him growing up because they, uh, you know, they went to Juilliard together and they're there in a most final year. It's like these are the two best actors of their kind of generation and then she's kind of gone on to have this really terrible back half of the 2010s where you know thought you would have got some advice from from oscar don't make an x-men movie at the moment they're really (laughs) bad (laughs) um so anyway this is kind of her kind of being a full action star and it's just a really kind of by the numbers the most rote cliched you know things you'll get in an action movie it's kind of Essentially, they've they've scaled up something that Bruce Willis would be doing direct to DVD at the moment or direct to VOD, 
and you know you know parachuted Chastain into it and like fill it the rest of the cast it, like this is a really good cast you've got Colin Farrell um he was having some fun he gets to wear a roll neck maybe that's why I, I enjoyed his performance <laughs> he's, he's he's primarily in roll necks he gets to have his Dublin accent he gets to just be a guy from Dublin it's not he's not you know there's there's probably one line to explain it you've got John Malkovich who's you know always worked your time Common shows up surprisingly in a movie where there's lots of people who want to kill Jessica Chastain. He's not a villain. He's kind of like an almost romantic lead. Gina Davis pops up. It's just, it's just a bad movie from the top to the bottom. It has a thing that really annoys me. Um, I think I, I criticize movies for like, you know, you can't necessarily decide your movie is set in New York and you might not be able to film in New York. You have to go elsewhere. My real issues is with kind of like the industrial, kind of everything's made in Georgia, it looks super flat and you're trying to sell me that it's somewhere else. This movie's primarily set in Boston and it's shot in Boston, which is like great. You know, it's not necessarily like, you know, I'm watching the town. They're not like going to Fenway Stadium or anything. But they also get Boston to stand in for Riyadh in Saudi Arabia and Paris. <laughs> and like no digs at Boston. <laughs> Boston's clearly like a lovely American city, but you know, <laughs> Paris it ain't. Um, were you um I have to ask, were you at least satisfied by any corpse kills? There wasn't even wasn't even that they didn't they didn't even give me that. Um, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, it's just super super flat. Um, what else have I been watching? I'll, I'll continue with the the bad. I watched uh, Wasp Network today, uh, a very terribly named movie. Which, in fairness to it, is it's based on true events, and Wasp Network was the name of something. Um, kind of watching it, it's a it's a true story. Um, basically about Cuban spies in the US in the early 90s. Um, it's currently on Netflix. It's like a big money production. Amazing cast. Like you've got Edgar Ramirez, Penelope Cruz, Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, Wagner Mora, who, if you've watched um, Narcos, was uh, Pablo Escobar and Ana de Arma. So like stack cast, Olivier Assayas, who's this wonderful French director. And so like, did, you know, and a very interesting story, like spies, Cuban spies in America. You're like going back and forth between Havana and Miami. It's like, this thing should be gangbusters. And it's so, so dull. Um, I kind of hate the, the kind of, uh, the narrative now where people are like, Oh, should X movie just be a Netflix series? But like, this is the one time where it's like, there's so much going on. You're like, you know, as well as Miami and Havana, you're going to like Honduras and Puerto Rico and El Salvador. And it's like, I have no idea what's happening. There's like so much heavy lifting in like the postscript credits. Um, give me a bit more time. I did find it funny though that like, you know, for us, if this podcasting game doesn't work out, I'm pretty sure that we could like, we could write just like South America drugs. <laughs> intrigue on a napkin take a photo of it tweet netflix and we get like a two million dollar deal just like straight <laughs> off the bat that's commissioned you're in um what else did i watch i watched dark water which is um todd haynes the new film hasn't made a movie since uh carol the christmas masterpiece that i will be revisiting later this year and hopefully hopefully you will visit it with me too david it's on my watch list it's gonna happen don't worry about it um so dark water is uh another kind of true story 
about the DuPont chemical. Um, basically, they were up to lots of corporate malfeasance and dumping chemicals on land and basically using a, like a forever chemical in the, in the production of Teflon that resulted in birth defects. Very, very ugly, you know, subject matter. Um, stars Mark Ruffalo. He's, investigating the uh he's investigating the the leaks he's not a he's not a journalist he's a lawyer who's kind of like works at a big firm in philadelphia and he kind of gets he gets brought back into it and by his grandmother from like his hometown in in pennsylvania somewhere um he actually it's it's not spotlight explicit but he has a they knew moment it's amazing he so in it he he plays uh real life lawyer robert billot Robert, you know, I'm sure he was called Robbie when he was growing up. And there's a moment in the movie where he's like going through like, you know, um, DuPont when he, he asks for files. They send like truckloads. They're like, we'll bury you in, in information. So like, good luck finding the needle in this, you know, haystack. And he's like figuring it out and he, he he's like doing it and he's like, he's on his own and he doesn't say it, but you know. <laughs> By the way that he's reading the paper and the way that like they, they, they cut in for a close up and it's like scanning over it. And he's thinking to himself, they knew Robbie. They it's knew time, all along. <laughs> it's time. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a disappointment of a movie. Again, like this thing's got an amazing stacked cast. Uh, Anne Hathaway is probably like the most overqualified person to play like the, the thankless wife role. I have a question for you, Dave. You mm-hmm. have said that you have difficulty telling when people are wearing wigs in movies. Would you be able to tell if somebody was wearing fake eyebrows? Uh, probably, but I don't know. I mean, like, 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 like it's everything is context specific, you know. So, are these particularly obvious? So, in this movie, uh, Bill Camp, the great Bill Camp, uh, plays the guy who kind of brings the case to uh, Mark Ruffalo's character, and it's like his land where, you know. They've been dumping stuff offside and his, all his cows are dying. And he's been like, he brings in like, you know, bags of their deformed, mutated hearts. Very kind of harrowing and disturbing. Not as much disturbing as the eyebrows that Bill Camp is sporting in this movie. He looks exactly like in, I don't know if either of you have seen the great animated movie, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs and Flint Lockwood's dad played by James Caan, basically just has like eyebrows where you can't see his eyes. And for the whole movie, like Bill Camp's wearing like a baseball cap. And, but you know they're under there. It's like they've made a choice here. Like this is, he, he was totally inhibiting the role beforehand. Like this isn't adding anything to do. This is just distracting me. And there's a scene where he like, he falls over and his cap, his cap falls off and that you just see enormous eyebrows. So do you Camp- think it was like an actor choice? <laughs> no, he was just like I'm gonna have these massive fuck off. <laughs> it's 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 an incredible flex on Bill Camp's uh, if he if he has done that. Um, I I hope he didn't. I just hope it was a poor production choice. Uh, last thing, um, I watched Finding Jack Charlton, which is a documentary that came out this week about Jack Charlton. Very timely with him uh, passing recently. Um, I wasn't kind of expecting too much from this documentary. I just kind of expected a kind of a, you know, going through the good times with Jack, which I was totally ready to do. Um, but between both the day that I watched it, just as I was starting to watch it, I was kind of on, on Twitter, which I know I shouldn't have been doing and found out that Morris Sedders had died, who's 
Charlton's um, number two all these years. So I was like kind of added an, an extra bit of weight to this movie. And then obviously like Jack Charlton was dealing with dementia for like the last 10 years of his life. So I really need to stop watching movies, documentaries about dementia because they will destroy me, which this one did. Um, this is like, you know, Jack Charlton was out of the limelight for like, you know, the past decade. Nobody would have really seen him around, but to see him, they, they, they film with him and they, they very much deal with kind of, you know, how it's affected him and, uh, how he's dealing with it, how his family's dealing with it. And, you know, he's not, you know, when they're filming with him, it's, he's not the Jack Charlton that you know that we kind of grew up with and that this, like, you know, mythical figure in, in, in Irish history. Um, and there's one particular scene, like for the most part, they have him like watching clips of like the World Cup and, you know, Euro 88. And he's kind of like not really registering anything that's there. And it's kind of, it's kind of tough because he was such a sharp person. He was like one of the great quotes. Like I think aside from Brian Clough, he's probably like one of the most, you know, if you could put him on a TV show with no script and he would entertain you for hours. He was like a, a king of the after dinner circuit. But there's one scene he's watching, um, he's watching some, some footage. And he your just, voice, your voice I know. just want to go, is that a shake in your voice? He's, he's watching and his, his eyes, moment there, Higgs, you're on. his eyes, his eyes just momentarily light up. Like, and he just says, Paul McGrath. And he turns and he has this smile on his face and it just like annihilated me. Like, <laughs> good Lord. <laughs> Okay, so. um, I, I, I'll just jump in here real quick. Just, you know, like we, we can all compose ourselves. I'll note that like I've had my own share of tearjerkers this month uh, on my list. So again, this is like another month uh, during an unprecedented, highly contagious pandemic in which I am currently unemployed and single. So there are lots of errors to fill in the day. And thus I've been watching a I'm lot sorry, of films. Does relationship status affect the level of movies? I would like, say so. The- I, I have to think so. It's just like, it's a lot like, it, it's t- let's not hyperanalyze this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's just, okay. let's just, let's just say that. I sure did. Um, real quick, I'll fly through a highlight reel here. Uh, films that made Dave cry this month. Portrait of a Lady on Fire absolutely shattered me. And much like Higg said before on the show, it has that triple ending kind of whammy. And there was a point when I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, like, cut to the credits. Like, like it's done. Like, 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 you've nailed it. And then I was like, oh, not another scene. You can't possibly... <laughs> and I'm just sitting there and I'm just, like, shaking and being like, oh, Jesus, instant five stars. That was incredible. Uh, Waves, which is, I, th- I thought, pretty good. Not amazing. Uh, I liked it a lot. But it's very melodramatic, mostly works. And at times, like, the amount of needle drops in that film are out of control. But, like you know, throw in Surf Solar by fuck buttons, and I'm like, yeah, fair enough, lads, I understand what you're doing. It works. Uh, the Florida Project, which uh, I found crushingly sad, but quite brilliantly done, um, which I didn't realise was actually three years old. I thought it was more recent, but I just only got to it now. And um, I guess kind of one of those, I don't I don't recall uh, shedding a tear to this, but definitely like hit me in the feels, as they say. I finally did it. I finally watched Paddington, and it was... It was unbelievable. <laughs> I have to see the sequel now, which I understand is even better, right? Yeah, oh, what, I, th- I think they're both brilliant. I think I have a slight f- favoritism to, to the first one, but the sequel is absolutely amazing. Like, you get Hugh Grant just having an absolute ball in it. Uh, Brendan Gleeson's fantastic. They're both just wonderful, wonderful films. I don't understand how they haven't streamlined a third one. Like, you know... 
I feel like we're owed, we're owed Paddington. The world needs Paddington. Like even, even the Twitter account, which is kind of like a very, you know, cynical corporate thing, brings a bit of joy into the day every day. Just Paddington tweeting about marmalade sandwiches or just being nice or <laughs> talking about Mrs. Brown or is it Mrs. Is it Brown's he does it? Yeah, isn't. Yeah, it but is. Anyway. Not, not to be confused with that wretched sitcom, but like it's something else entirely. I think they are doing the third one. I, I think it has been all but announced, possibly, and there's like talk of like a Netflix show or something. But uh, yeah, I guess lastly, like not a lot of films this year, of course, but I did watch a documentary from this year uh, the other day called You Cannot Kill David Arquette. Of course, David Arquette being the actor from the Scream series, he wants to be known for more than that. And specifically, he wants to gain the respect of the professional wrestling community that he once debased 20 years ago by becoming WCW World heavyweight champion as part of a marketing stunt for a bad movie. Now, for anyone who doesn't know that backstory, it didn't quite kill WCW, but it certainly helped it on its way. And Arquette was hated by the hardcore fans. He himself argued against it, knowing what the reaction would be. He also donated his entire salary to I think, the families of deceased wrestlers and stuff. So like, he's not like an awful human being who did it for ego. He just was kind of coaxed into it and whatever. But this is him now in his 40s and he's got like, you know, a new wife and kids and stuff and he wants to enter the world of indie wrestling and basically compete in matches where he gets the shit kicked out of him and do it for the respect of the whole world type thing. And it's, you know, this documentary is like 90 minutes long. It's very stagey, as you would expect from anything involving professional wrestling, but there is some nice heart to it. And there's like one sequence in particular where he goes to Tijuana in Mexico and he's like... They have these mass luchadors who basically, like, at, tra- at busy traffic lights, they go up to, they stand in front of cars, like, you know, like, these pricks who walk across the road, like, juggling and stuff whenever, like, you know, and, like, demand money off you? Instead, this is, like, Mexican wrestlers, like, running at each other and doing flying head scissors and stuff, and Arquette, like, dives off a big thing, and it's a big moment. So, yeah, it's very silly, but it's got kind of a nice bit of spirit, and uh, he almost dies at one point, so that's also in there, so... Fair play to him, I say. But uh, yeah, look, listen, there's all kinds of movies happening. In terms of films from this year, though, this is what we're here to discuss. It is, of course, Bill and Ted Face the Music, and this is the trailer. Dude, we better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? And take it from ourselves! Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers! <laughs> How is that stealing? If we're stealing it from ourselves, dude. <laughs> Our dads are totally in trouble. Yeah! Yeah! We should help them out. Yeah! No way. How's, How's it going, Bill and Ted? Ted? We're putting together a most extraordinary band. Hey, you want to be in our band? Oh. <laughs> oh, this is so fantastic. We're going to go talk to Death. Is he playing hopscotch by himself? Dude, he's cheating. Hey, Death. Life isn't a wild stallion. Let's rock! Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. All right, that's Bill and Ted Face the Music from 2020. A film that was a long time in the making. I assume most people know who these lads are, but for anyone who doesn't, Higgs, can you talk us through Bill and Ted? the previous films, how this one came to be, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, Bill and Ted, this is their, you know, they've been around for 30 years now. Uh, I think 1989, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure came out, which was, I guess, the kind of one of the first big profile movies you would have had for Keanu Reeves uh, and Alex Winters. They play two lovable stoners, 
but they're not really stoners. They're, they, you know, they never explicitly are, are smoking marijuana. This is very much like a kind of a kids movie, but the implication is there, I guess. And um, they're in a band called Wild Stallions. Uh, they are flunking out in school, uh, particularly history class. So they have like a history lesson that they, or sorry, a history test that they need to, to pass or one of them has to go to military school. And basically a guy, Rufus, comes from the past, shows up and says that if, you know, you guys are destined to write the song that reunites the world, um, so I'm going to help you pass this class. And they go on a, as said, excellent adventure. Um, movie was like a modest hit. Um, I don't think it was like released internationally, but it was like a modest hit in, in America. Spawned a sequel, Bogus Journey, that came two years later and also spawned a short-lived animated series. Um, I think the first season of which all, like all the original cast did the voices for the second season of which they were all recast. And then afterwards, there was a very, very short-lived, I have not seen, but is apparently utterly dreadful uh, live action TV show in like the, the early 90s. And then that was kind of it. Uh, it's a kind of a, a cult classic. Um, you know, they are lovable rogues. Everyone kind of loves Keanu Reeves is probably moderately indifferent on Alex Winters. But, um, a couple of years, maybe like f- 10 years ago, there was like talk that, you know, they were going to get the band back together. Uh, th- this includes the, the writers of the movie, um, who have written this movie as well. Uh, Chris Matheson and Ed Solomon that they were going to do a new and they had an idea they had an idea all the way back when and it was kind of a case of okay we're all up for this um is there a studio in america who wants to make this movie and the answer was no no there is not um again like this this movie it's a it's kind of a cult hit and in in the in the era of kind of i don't know you need to make it an outrageously expensive movie that makes a an outrageous amount of money the idea of like modest success, Bill and Ted just kind of wasn't for everyone. Um, but that changed in kind of the mid 2014, 2015 when Keanu Reeves became a thing again with, uh, John Wick. So suddenly like Keanu Reeves has cachet again. Keanu Reeves is in a Toy Story movie. Uh, Keanu Reeves is box office, you know, um, liquid. <laughs> so yeah, we, we get to Bill and Ted face the music. It's 30 years on. They have grown up, uh, physically, but, you know, mentally, they're pretty much the same guys that we left back in the nineties. Um, they had daughters at the end of, uh, Bogus Journey who are now grown up and have very much taken after their fathers. And while we thought at the end of Bogus Journey that they had written the song that would unite the world, they haven't really got around to it yet. True enough. Uh, Norma Howard. Before we tasked you with coming back to the show and getting involved with these movies, had you seen any of them prior to this or was this a completely maiden voyage for you? Um, I had seen like, I'd seen clips and I was aware of what the setup was. Obviously, the first one was 1989 and the second was 1991. So the first one, I was not born. And then the second one, I was still not born. Um, so, but like, I, I knew what the dynamic was. I knew the kind of pop culture references. I knew the little guitar thing that they do. Um, and I knew that it was generally speaking thought of as like a cult classic thing that there are a lot of really big Bill and Ted fans out there. Yeah. And like clips had come up, but I'd never actually sat down and watched a full film. 
And I think if not for this podcast, I probably, I don't know, I probably wouldn't have. I just, I'm always a little bit nervous about the idea of a franchise coming back that many years later, because it's kind of like, why is it actually of any benefit? Why are all the creatives involved wanting to do this after that length of time? Um, and I guess at the end of the film, I was still left wondering that exact question. Well, I mean, I think I think I agree with you. I think especially with comedy, it's very dangerous to go back to the well, whether it's Alan Partridge or Arrested Development, which I think have come back with diminishing returns. I think in the case of Arrested Development, I didn't even watch the latest season because I just thought it lost its way so badly. I think, you know, if you're on fire at a certain point, you know, look at The Simpsons. Like, I mean, I always say about The Simpsons when it was at its best, I can only imagine the jokes that they threw out versus now where it's still a thing, but it's more of a depressing zombie. As for this, I mean, like, it's a case of... It's very, very clearly the definition of the term passion project. It's very, very obvious that, yes, they needed something like Keanu Reeves to have his Keanu sons or whatever you want to refer to it as. Um, I'm just happy for Alex Winter. Like, I'm just like, this guy's been waiting for so long. And he's like, he's been doing things himself. Like, he's been like a documentarian and he's done other things. But obviously, Keanu Reeves is like one of the biggest stars in the world. Whereas for Alex Winter, I mean, like, it's it's written all over his face, you know, like, and yes, their faces have more lines on them now in, in 2020. But like, you can tell just how happy this guy is to be on the screen and doing this again in 2020, which I found, I found that incredibly infectious before we even get into the plot and everything. But like, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. The fact that it exists at all, you know, I just thought it was a nice little kind of win. I feel like uh, you're making out that Alex Winter was like, you know, ran out of Hollywood as if, you know, he was just un- uncastable. But like, um, I do agree. He is incredibly excited to be in this movie and his excitement is infectious. But, you know, he's he's gone a different way. He's like a very, I don't know if I would say the word, uh, revered documentarian, but he is a very busy documentarian. I don't know if I mentioned it on on a podcast, on this podcast before because the, the, the lines between this podcast and me just chatting to you, Dave, sometimes blur that i don't know if i've actually if i've committed some things to (laughs) to tape but i watched one of his documentaries before not knowing it was him uh he made a movie about the panama papers i think it was kind of not long after i'd watched the really terrible um soderbergh movie the laundromat which was dealing with the panama papers and i was like i watched that movie i didn't really feel like i understood anything about it and this kind of popped up on uh, amazon prime so i like was like i'll fire this up and it was like it was totally fine but then there was like one stage where there was, uh, you know, an interview with someone, I can't remember who it was. And, you know, occasionally in, in a documentary movie, like ideally, if you're the maker, you, you want to keep yourself out of it. You know, you, you don't want to put yourself front and center. You know, it's similar if you're like writing a book about someone, don't put yourself, you know, the, the journalist at the front and center of it. But, you know, sometimes it just, it creeps in because like, if there's a back and forth, like you'll hear it, you'll hear a, a question off camera and the, <laughs> the question just like, not so much what it was, but it was just like, uh, and like, you know, when they, you know, <laughs> when they were like hiding all that money, <laughs> and I was like, who is this? <laughs> so immediately like, fired up Wikipedia. It was like, Alex Winter. I was like, of course, Alex Winter. Um, so anyway, yeah, he's, he's a he's, dude at the end of the sentence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your man gave him an answer. He was just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> he he, se- he seems to be uh, he, the the subjects of his movies are very much just like you know, kind of guy in his middle you know middle age where he's in his fifties now, just kind of being fascinated by like things that are happening on the internet. He like he has one about like Bitcoin and the dark web, and it's real, just like yeah, but like computers. <laughs> 
Jesus. Okay. I mean, like, okay. So I think with regards to like the, uh, I guess like the way that these movies move, I watched uh, Excellent Adventure over the summer, kind of in preparation for the new one coming out. And then all kinds of stuff obviously happened with like release dates being moved and cinemas closing. And, you know, I was hoping that we would get to see it like Tenet, but uh, unfortunately did not. So I watched the first one and then I only like recently took in two and three. Um, the first one to me is like secretly a horror film. Like I, I, I found it like, it, there's just parts of it that I found really overwhelming and sinister and just disgusting. Like all the Napoleon stuff of him eating chocolate ice cream, I was like, this is like almost body horror. Um, obviously, both the first and the second one, unfortunately, have a couple of moments where they drop F-bombs, which you're just like, I mean, especially coming out of Keanu Reeves's mouth, you're like, oh, what the hell, lads? Come on, I know like these characters are meant to be young and dumb and stupid, but and it's like, it was the 80s, it was the early 90s, it's a different time. It was just like yeesh <laughs> like there's just no getting around it it's bad uh the second one i think is significantly better it's so much more inventive and creative you know it's where they go to hell i love all the death stuff i think it's winningly stupid and just silly although i will say that the uh character if that's even the right word of station is one of the most disgusting uh things i've ever seen in a film and i think it's like it's it's up there with the specter behind the diner in mulholland drive in terms of giving me a nightmare <laughs> Sorry, that reference comes in far too much. It's it's up there, let me tell you. <laughs> the basis of all creepy things. Yeah, I, I, I agree because I, 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 I'd watched actually Excellent Adventure maybe earlier this year, but I did, I did watch it again just because it's, it was kind of a very passive watch. But um, I do agree, Bogus Journey is like the, it's such the superior film. Like even... Even just what they're referencing in Bogus Journey, like, you know, Excellent Adventure is a very simple, it's kind of, it's high concept, but it's kind of grounded by the fact that you just have these kind of lovable deuce in it. And, you know, the plot is, you know, Rizla paper thin, there's not much to it. And it kind of, at the end, it kind of just like veers into like, oh, you know, like, as you said, like, I think all the Napoleon stuff is gold, like him cheating at bowling and like that whole that whole side to it is amazing, but like, you know, Joan of Arc doing a, you know, an aerobics class in a mall or like, it's just like, you know, Genghis Khan in a, in a, in a sports store, just like smashing things up. And that's all kind of just like, oh, okay, whatever. But yeah, Bogus Journey, it's like, it's so bold. Like the idea that like the kind of the central crux of Bogus Journey is that they were just like, well, what about if we just kind of ripped off Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal? <laughs> <laughs> and use that as like the center point of our movie. And then, you know, as they go further into hell, it's like, you know, the whole visual choice is like German expressionism in terms of like angles and colors. And, um, yeah, like it, it's, it's a really good looking film. Like it has a, a kind of, you know, when Michelle Gondry was making music videos, that kind of sensibility to it. Um, but station. Station, the, the scene where Station kind of melds together in the parking lot is like, it's Robert Teen. It must, I must actually look it up. I, I was like, who did it? Cause like it is Robert Teen <laughs> doing the thing level viscera guts. I was like, this is <laughs> in a kids movie. Absolutely revolting. I don't want to see this. <laughs> no, it's it's outrageously bad. But uh, yeah, listen, I, I think they're they're perfectly good in the middle of films. I think the second one's better. Uh, as for the third one, I mean, like it's funny because like yeah, I think Norman is correct and like like who is this for? Who's really demanding it? I was never like, oh my god, I, I desperately want to see a third Bill and Ted movie. But like anytime it was announced that it was happening, and then when it was announced that it actually was happening, I was like. 
Oh, I'm up for this because like I just like the fact that they're doing it. I think it's like this is there's something cute about the two lads being really old now and Keanu like going from sharp suited John Wick hitman to this character again. Like does he like does he have it in him? What's that going to look like? And then even like seeing the first photographs, I was like, there's just something really really weird here. But like I'm I'm for it. So I guess what we'll do is right. We'll take a listen to. Um, them at a wedding at the start of the film playing some music and people not enjoying it and that kind of sets the tone for where we're going Enjoying the first three movements of that which binds us through time the chemical physical and biological nature of love an exploration of the meaning of meaning part one <laughs> Ah. Ready, Bill? Ready, Ted. One, two, one, two, three, four. you a thousand times bill and i have to keep going yeah yeah till yeah yeah until yeah. your music unites the world chief logan the people in the future told us that bill if- bill bill you didn't time travel we did your wives aren't from medieval england they are and you didn't go to heaven and hell we did you didn't we did and you know why because it's impossible. So, um, I remember seeing the trailers for this and not laughing once and just being like, oh shit, like it looks kind of dry. And even like that wedding song there, I don't think it's a comic masterpiece or anything, but I will say that when Keanu like flits between bagpipes and a trumpet, I just found that visual to be hilarious. However, I could totally understand if, if, like, if this is bad comedy. Like something that I never like in a comedy film is when something is meant to not be funny or it's meant to be awkward and annoying. I'm just like, I, I find that stuff to be really, really hard to bear with. But I guess, listen, I mean, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I fucking loved this film. I thought it was wholesome. I thought it was joyful. I thought it was incredibly non-cynical. I thought it was just what the year needed. But on this show, I am a huge fan of having differing opinions. And that's why, Norma Howard, can you please tell us what you thought of this film? Oh, it's just such a crock of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like to prefix... Um, the watching of it as well because I hadn't seen the other films and I guess because I wasn't um, a fan of it. A lot of this, the references in it, like structurally Face the Music, which is the third one, follows more or less the exact same kind of structure. Like they, like they hit all the same kind of marks as the going back in time, bringing people, making this band, doing all these things. Um, people from the past seeing new instruments and being like, what, what? And stuff like that. Um, and I just kind of felt like for the entire film, even from the very opening scene, I was like, 
is there there's things here I'm missing for sure there's like if you haven't seen the two other films there's like jokes and plot lines that you I I did not get I was just like okay I'm clearly I'm I'm out on this one like I don't get it and they're not going to make an effort to try and catch me up within the film itself but even beyond that I was just like I just don't find any of it funny like I don't know it just like Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter are incredibly charming like 100% they definitely um, are really sweet and are really nice and they are really really enjoying themselves but there was just so many jokes that I was just like that is actually obviously meant to be a joke and then there was a point with a particular character where a uh, friend of the show, Dahi Adroni, turned around and was like, I think this might be the worst character written in comedy ever. And which, which character? I would have don't to say, Don't say what I think you're going to say. It's obviously Dennis. What is happening? Dennis Caleb I, McCoy. Literally, anytime is... Dennis spoke, other than the fact that as a robot that is sent from the future to kill them, like he's literally... Spoiler alert, there's a robot who's trying to assassinate Bill and Ted. Um, <laughs> it's so he good. looks crap. Like his actual design, like the the, weird, the weirdest thing I found about going back then and watching the very first film is that the production, uh, the production design of the first one seems so much more detailed and finished and has a lot more thought in it than... The new one, the new one just looked, it looked quite cheap at times. That robot looks so cheap. And I was like, maybe it's meant to, maybe this is the whole thing. But like, I just thought he looked terrible. I didn't think any of his bits were funny. I didn't, as an adversary, I guess, I didn't really know what his point was. Um, so bad, <laughs> so bad. I, I will agree with you on the production design in this movie is... Absolutely awful. Um, it was 25 um, million was the budget. And I just don't know where that 25 million went. Ken Reeves? Like, a, I don't know. A lot of, Alex a lot, Winter's documentary fund. He's going to make loads yeah. of new documentaries. Dave Grohl? Is that why? Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like. So, so the thing about um, like Excellent Adventure kind of does, it, it has its look and it's good. But like, you know, to, to talk about Bogus Journey, in Bogus Journey, we go into the future and we see, you know, the future where people... You know, they, they learn about Bill and Ted and like, uh, Jim Martin from Fate No More teases and play the guitar. But like, it's a very, very, in a way, kind of cheap, but very unique look where like everyone has these kind of like weird suits with like neon foam on them. And it's almost like, you know, the future built in the vision of, you know, two teenage stoners, not stoners, Bill and Ted. And like, it makes perfect sense and it, it has an identity. In this movie, it's just like, random CGI, you know, kind of trying to be grand, you know, where, where they land in at the beginning and like they're walking up this long bridge and it's like, it's, it's supposed to look, you know, very grand and, you know, all the trimmings of what you would expect in a modern sci-fi movie. But it's like, that's not Bill and Ted. That's not what we want here. Um, I will disagree. I, the, the, the Dennis Caleb McCoy character is, it's it's a very weird one. I don't think it's very like uh I don't think it's fleshed out enough. I think there's like there's a lot in this movie. Like and you know, I'm not asking for this movie to be over 2 hours. I'm I'm very happy with you know 
the 90 minute runtime. I'm very happy that they essentially kind of this movie runs in real time to what's actually happening in the movie where they're like, you have 77 minutes to do this. And it's like, okay, cool. We've got momentum. We're going. But there's so much just kind of like thrown, you know, like something pops in and it's like, okay, we don't really have time for that. Like particularly the, uh, the princesses who get recast, you know, done the, the, the actresses from the original two movies done dirty because apparently you know that they now like the two leads of this movie are now in their 50s and of course they need to be played by women in their late 30s early 40s who then have nothing to do you know they have that very very funny um scene at the uh you know a a couple's therapy at the beginning which i think is brilliant Um, i just want to say like funny scene i don't know i don't know know let's take a listen let's take a listen to it so do you understand why this situation might seem at all strange to your wives? No, not at all. Why? Well, when your wives suggested couples therapy, do you think that this is what they had in mind? Well, definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? <laughs> that is true. Yeah. But usually with couples therapy, it just means one couple. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, you know, we're here, so let's work with that. Yes? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, Ted, is there something you feel your wife needs to hear from you? Yeah, totally. We love you guys. Oh, that is good, dude. (laughs) In a way, yes. I mean, it is great to feel loved. But do you understand how that might sound strange to your wives? I'll shoot this at Bill. No? I mean, we love them. We love them. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Okay, it's the we part. Um, Ted, can you say the same thing? But instead of we, say I in the sentence. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Of course. (laughs) Okay. Elizabeth. Yes. I and Bill love you and Joanna. Okay. Dude, with all due respect, I don't think you're quite getting this. Go for it, dude. No, no love, Norma. No love for the hilarity on display there. Like, as an opening to the film, I was like, oh, like, this is funny. This is like, they're doing the whole, like, oh, their wives are obviously annoyed because they're too much, too into each other, too much of best friends. And then the scene just went on far too long. And I just, like, kind of like what Higgs was saying, you've got two actresses there who have nothing to do. They just, they have nothing to say. They've got nothing to do. And then they have kind of a, a separate subplot thing where them from the future come back and get the princesses to show them a life with Bill and Ted and in any timeline, they are not happy sort of thing. And I just couldn't have cared less. <laughs> I just, it was like, something fun for these two women to go do while Bill and Ted were actually having their adventure. And it was, yeah, I don't know. I I, I agree. Like, I I don't see why in this movie, when when we're introduced to Bill and Ted, that, you know, if if they're going to give them so little to do, why not just say their wives left them? And then that becomes a, you know, things like, oh, we need to get them back. We need to clean up our act. We actually need to, you know, go out and record this song. But I, I do really love that scene. And like, it, it really reminds me of like Step Brothers, where it's just like kind of two, 
two idiots kind of having some good interplay together and Gillian Bell is one of the best comedic actresses around, so I'm always happy when she pops up. So it was a, it was a pleasant surprise to see her in this, but yeah, I I agree. It's they they could have done a lot lot more with uh with the with two of the female characters in this movie. Yeah, I just I I wonder if it's like because this was in development for so long, and. I imagine after 25 years, they had all these ideas and all these jokes and all these things that they wanted to be able to achieve with Face the Music. And I think um, it's been basically put out there now that if there was ever going to be another one, it certainly wouldn't be following Bill and Ted, that it might follow the daughters instead because they feel like the Bill and Ted plotline has been kind of more or less wrapped up. Fingers crossed it has. (laughs) (laughs) But it seemed like maybe it was just too many characters, too many ideas, too many things, too many kind of half-baked jokes they wanted to get in there that they sort of lost track of. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah, a I mean, I like, it's it's not, a, it's not a good defense, nor do I mean to put, one, put it forward as one, but, like, I guess it's in keeping with... They never knew what to do with those characters across three films. Like, I mean, it's, it's like, it is a problem. And I guess Bill and Ted are on the poster. That's kind of, like, our primary focus in an 85-minute movie. I do want to talk about the daughters, though, the next generation. But before that, we have mentioned Dennis Caleb McCoy, and I want to talk more about him. So he's a murderous robot from the future who is initially, uh, I guess, presented as this really, like, sinister, oh my god, this is like the T-1000, but like, you know, one that looks like a fucking iPod charger or something. And, you know, shows up a couple of times, and it it takes a little while for them to reveal the joke that he's terrible at his job and hugely socially awkward. So uh, there's a moment where he confronts Bill and Ted, and this is what happens. Dude, what? The booth is gone. What? Where did it go? I don't know. Let's go back and ask those wise old usses. Yeah, I hope we're still alive. Please, Preston Logan. Oh, this is exactly what we don't need right now. We can't. We gotta get back to the present, like now. Look, we know you were sent here to kill us if we didn't have the song, but we actually do have the song now, so... Wait, you have the song? Oh. Uh... Mistakes were made. Apologies are given. You're forgiven, no problem. But we gotta go, robot dude. Wait, no, must expiate guilt. For what? We're fine, dude. Let us go. For murdering family. Wait, what? What are you talking about? I lasered your daughters. You lasered them? You lasered our daughters? Where Where are they? they? Daughters are in hell. You You sent sent our our daughters daughters to hell? We have to go get them. So if I may, right, I think this scene underlines why I like this film. Because first of all, Alex Winter's reaction to this death robot showing up is him going, ah, oh, this is the last thing we need right now. And, I, and I, I love that, like, innocence and how there's no fear. He's just like, it's an inconvenience to him. And then also, like, you have the whole thing of, like, 
when he's trying to apologize, Ted immediately is just like, yeah, it's fine, man. Don't worry about it, robot dude. And I'm like, that's what these characters are. They're just lovable idiots. Like, like there's no, they mean no harm to anybody. They're just trying to get on with their fucking lives and do their best. But obviously they're falling behind for lots of different reasons that they just don't quite see. But ultimately, you know, they're kind of like make love not war guys and then of course you also have the bit where once they realize what has happened they're basically like shoot us kill us we need to save our daughters there's like they're selfless like they are deep down i find them very easy to root for and yeah i i I thought dennis caleb mccoy was a work of comic genius as played by anthony carrigan who anyone who's seen barry will recognize him as noho hank i was just delighted i do agree that he's kind of underdeveloped and they kind of try and crowbar in too much but um, okay, so I like the film a lot. Norman does not like the film a lot. Higgs, where are you landing on this? Well, you know, to, to keep the the balance on the podcast, I was kind of like in between on it. The, I kind of found the more it went on, the more it lost me. Like I, I was really enjoying it at the start. Uh, I guess kind of, you know, at the moments I was kind of drawn to were there. The more it kind of just basically became a rehash of um Excellent Adventure. I was kind of like, oh, okay. I enjoyed the uh I enjoyed the kind of the future versions of Bill and Ted, like the the kind of the grifter versions of Bill and Ted who are like playing at like some dive shithole bar. Or was it even a bar? Was it like was it like a a residence home? (laughs) Yeah. In the middle of the day or who were you know, putting on really terrible English accents in uh, in Dave Grohl's mansion. Um, Keanu Reeves returning to the well of Bram Stoker's Dracula there. <laughs> it was something I didn't think I'd see again. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, it, it was a very like a very forgettable movie in a sense. But I, I don't mean that to completely undermine it. Like I did kind of enjoy it, and you know, it, it is so good natured, and I think. You know, at the center, but they they are two very like lovable characters. That like there was enough to to get you there, and like you know, it was ninety minutes. That's perfect for me. But yeah, I as I said, like I think they they were just trying too much more into it. Um, I would have I would have liked a little bit more with like dealing with like you know them being older. You know, I don't I don't want full on existential midlife crisis from Phil and Ted, but. <laughs> It's it's hard not to when you come back to something thirty years on and and you know if you're, if you're playing no popcorn bingo we've got wrestling already a mega Twin Peaks reference or a David Lynch reference but you know that kind of idea is just like you know you go back and like you know as you mentioned earlier like you know the lines are in their face and like it 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 adds something to it and I kind of wish they kind of maybe leaned into that a little bit more even in a in a way for jokes like I'm not. I'm not looking at them being like introspective, but just like more jokes about that. So I kind of enjoyed the grifter, the grifter side of it. Um, prison Bill and Ted were fun. Um, you know, Keanu in full Zangief outfit and, uh, I got Alex Winters is Perry Saturn. I got a worrying white power vibe off those two, and I, I, I don't like it's not spelled out, but I, like even like just their tattoos. I know it says stuff like excellent or whatever, but I don't know. There's just something kind of sinister about that that I was like, hmm. Um, so listen, early on in the film, right? There's a line of dialogue where they're saying Preston Logan must f- figure out this song, and the next seventy-seven minutes of the world will end. So they don't like they pointedly don't call them Bill and Ted. It's in the trailers you really should be able to figure out what that means straight away. So, Norma, how did the next generation of Bill and Ted, specifically their daughters, as played by Samara Weaving and Bridgette Lundy-Payne, work for you? 
Um, like I, I actually, I really, I really enjoyed them. Um, for as much as they were involved, I actually, considering that, like you said, you can probably work it out. They are the people who make the song. <laughs> Who bring, what, what even is it? Is it like they stop the thread of reality from unraveling? I, like, I'm not even entirely sure what it is the specific task was or like to try and realign all the planets again. Um, yeah, like they were interesting as a duo. Obviously, they're modeled specifically off Bill and Ted themselves. They just didn't have enough to do or to say to warrant being that interesting or having enough of a long lasting effect. Again, like they go back in time and they do the like, oh, we're going to get this cool band together and they get all the different musicians. Um, yeah, again, it's just like, it just left me a bit like deflated and a little bit bored. I was just like, they seem like interesting, could be going to an interesting place with these characters, but like, I just didn't get anything out of it. And then at the very end when it's like, oh, it's actually our our daughters that are going to like save this thing. They have the two, I actually don't know exactly what they're called. Are they like chaos pads? Like the kind of like DJ chaos pad things? Yeah. I should really know what that's called. There's one uh, directly right in front you, yeah. of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I believe it is a chaos um, pad. It is a right. chaos pad. So it was also like, is it the idea that future Preston and Logan, it's like what was really going to create the greatest song of all time is that they're actually like really great music producers. Possibly, <laughs> like, yeah. DJs or yeah, like... Yeah, DJs. Are they like future DJs that save the world? Arrangers. Um, I don't and know. like the major problem with it is that while you've got two kind of cool characters who are there to be the actual saviors of the film. The song is shit. It's just a shit song. <laughs> Let's take and a I listen to the song. Sorry, but listen uh, to the song. Go on. Th- th- yeah, this Kill is the me. song that apparently will save the entire world forever. <laughs> I guess the the song that they end up um, performing that is with uh, Mozart and Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix, um, Louis Armstrong, and 
Is the drummer? I'm not sure the drummer is remember. like a, a specific person, but it's no, like... No, but it's someone through time who's like... It's like a cave woman, caveman, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and another lady on the flute who's from the past as well. Like, I think one of the things that also put me off about the film and is that like considering so much of it is centered around like them having incredible taste in music but not being able to write really good music themselves is that the music throughout face the music is bad in general like i i don't know again maybe this is just something that i didn't get or couldn't get on board with but there was also even just with the general composition there was so much like dead air in the film as well that i was like i i don't know why that wasn't filled with more and I did feel like I enjoyed the music from Excellent Adventure a lot more there was just like more appropriate choices or just it seemed a bit more fun and a bit more enjoyable yeah I guess I guess with this movie is that like you know the first two are over time where it's like these guys are you know they like they like hair metal essentially they like poison they like skid row there's you know um kiss all over this thing you know so it's kind of more assured in its identity while like now if you're if they're grown up and you know their daughters are clearly massively influenced by their taste but it's like well, like you can't just you know have a guns and roses song like that's in in 2020 that's not not gonna <laughs> unite the world um i do think yeah the, the song at the end like it's kind of you're setting up uh an impossible an impossible task to be like, you know, there's, there's a song in this movie, in this Bill and Ted, in the third movie of the Bill and Ted, you know, that united the world. It's, it's kind of like in any other movie where if someone is like a great poet, you know, that, that they're not actually playing like an actual poet, but like, you know, a fictional, they are the greatest poet. They are the greatest writer. And then when you actually have to be exposed to something that they did, you know, the fictional version of it, it's just like, it's always going to be disappointing. Like, you, you know, no one's, you know, if you, if you could write the greatest poem in the world, you wouldn't be writing a bloody movie about it. <laughs> if you could write the greatest song in the world, you wouldn't be making the third, you know, you wouldn't be doing the, the soundtrack to Bill and Ted face the music. I think in terms of fitting in with this movie, it's totally fine. It's, you know, Win Butler briefly shows up as one of the great leaders in this and they, they clearly just went to the school of if everyone just kind of goes la 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 or you know everyone will feel good you know you throw your arms around the person next to you if they're a stranger that'll be a good time everyone's everyone's in love again um yeah it's not a great song but like i think i think it fits um just to go back to uh, the two daughters in it um yeah, I, I kind of think it was like a bit of a 50-50 on the performance. So Samara Weaving, who I was first exposed to last year in Ready or Not, and she was really good in it. In this, I kind of felt, I was like, has she seen the other movies? Um, it kind of just felt like she was doing, uh, you know, Bill and Ted Halloween dress up and then kind of didn't really give anything uh, to it. She didn't, you know, she didn't quite have any of the mannerisms and she didn't, yeah, I don't know. She just didn't seem to be like the daughter in comparison to, to Bridget Lundy Payne. I thought they were great. Uh, they had Keanu's, like his, his speech patterns, like, you know, his cadence. They had it completely down, uh, the way that like Keanu walks, the way like he gesticulates, the way he kind of, you know, in the originals is just like his, his arms are like 
like locked in place like they never come <laughs> above it apart from like when he's playing the guitar um yeah i thought that they were great um and considering like you know their arc in the movie is essentially just rehashing excellent adventure that it was like a really really good fit yeah I, i'd agree with all that i think specifically with Bridget lindy Payne, their approach to the fact that it is it's very specifically, it is Keanu Reeves from 1989 and 1991. Like, it's very, like, that very youthful kind of bounce to everything that they did. Like, all the, like, all the maneuvers and the movements. Samara Weaving, yeah, I'd agree. Like, I think she's normally quite excellent in almost everything I've seen her in. And she's, oh, excellent. Uh, uh, <laughs> didn't realize. Um, and she's fine here. She's grand. Like, it's not amazing. It's just, but again, like, it goes back to Norma's point of like, there is maybe too much going on. Not everyone gets a lot to do and there's kind of like so much stuff to kind of crowbar in kid cody's there for example and i'm like of course delighted that he's here but why is he here he's here to play on the idea of him being a stoner who's big into science i guess but then at the end at the at the ending song he introduces it as you heard it there and you're like oh class man i bet cody's got a really good verse coming up here no when they realize that it's working and everyone gets to kind of go back, he's the first one to go. Now, in fairness, it does lead to the utterly surreal thing of Keanu Reeves being like, yeah, see you later, Kid Cudi. I was like, okay, fine. But come on, give uh, give the cutter more to do. Yeah, so I, I find this kind of like a very, you know, as you said, very happy to see Kid Cudi show up in a movie. Always happy for more Kid Cudi in my life. But, it, you know, just the choice of it, it you know, I guess that they... They wanted to have someone from a rap background because they were kind of covering every every corner, every quadrant of music. But it was like, why Kid Cudi? You know, if you're trying to, you know, Kid, Kid Cudi's kind of like, you know, to 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 quote the the often used phrase about Pusha T, he's like your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Like he's not he's not superstar level that like he's a thing that would bring people in. Like this isn't you know you know. Post Malone showing up in that Mark Wahlberg movie earlier in the year where it's like, that would make more sense, I guess. You know, like he kind of has like the kind of stoner aesthetic. He would fit in well and he'd also like put bums on seats. Um, yeah. I mean, I was happy to see him. I didn't really get it. I have a question. Is he station? Oh God. Cause he shouts it at the end. Uh, like, don't ruin it. Because, <laughs> like, cause I, that was the one thing that they didn't bring back that I was like, thank God someone realized. Also, I will say that, like, um, you know, it's, it's cornball as hell. And in terms of the song, like, you say Guns N' Roses, like, I hear, I hear the fucking Lumineers, like, just the whoa thing. And it's like, yeah, it works in the communal thing. But, like, the idea, I guess, of, everyone has to play together and that's the whole point man it's about bringing people together and i'm like cheesy naive never gonna happen in a million years but that's kind of why it worked for me especially during this pandemic lads when we just were all so far apart you know i was just gonna say that in the song there's a bit when the guitar solo comes in and it sounds like it's gonna go into um do they know it's christmas <laughs> it's just like what is going on and like Higgs is 100% right it's like you're setting yourself up for utter defeat by saying this is the greatest song of all time now here it is and actually showing it because like it can never it could never be that thing absolutely never Um, so yeah it just it just really took the last bit of wind out of the sails of that film for me i was just like i'm done now and i feel what was like even I, worse was <laughs> i was so excited to switch it off and then i was like you know what this film this film 100 has 
like an after the credits scene. I fucking know it does. It absolutely <laughs> reeks of it. And it fucking did. And it was as stupid as the rest of the film. Don't, don't forget the actual credits, which of course have like, I guess, friends of the film sending in clips of them rocking who, out. Who are those people? Fans? I don't know. Yeah, it's so, so strange. <laughs> Never uh, introduced. I will say as well, like, um, again, like, I, like I find it like, I find it hard to disagree with any of these points. I think it's more a case of like, it maybe it was just the mood I was in. I needed this incredibly low stakes thing that I just thought was weightless in all the best ways. Uh, something we haven't talked about, though, is, of course, the grim specter of death, which does show up in this movie. William Sadler, 70 years of age, reprising his role as the very goofball version of death. Here he is being reunited with his former friends now, I guess, um, legally turned enemies because he's got a restraining order. Here it is. Hey, Death! If it isn't a wild stallion. Have you come to sue me again? No, Death. Not at all. We just need to talk to you, Death. Talk to the head. It'll only take a second, dude. Death! Come on, dude. Bill and Ted! Did your restraining order run out? Did the judge change his mind? So now I am allowed to get close to you? Hmm? Is this too close? Death, we didn't want to sue you, dude. Remember, be sweet, dude. You tried to take the name Wild Stallions. I was Wild Stallions. What are you talking about? You kicked me out because you was jealous of me. No, 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 yes, no, yes, dude. Yes. You quit the band to go out on your own. You yeah. wouldn't let me play. Dude, you were playing 40-minute bass solos. No one but you could play. I was in the groove. What? Those 40-minute solos, that was the highlight of your shows. It's no wonder you went down in the tubes. Love it. Love everything about it. Love that William Sadler was brought back. Love that Death is this stupid idiot who's obsessed with prog rock and has a giant ego. Love that he goes back inside to sulk while playing bass and he's got like a vinyl collection in the background. It's, it's to me, like I said earlier on about like the characters of Bill and Ted being summed up by one scene. This just sums up the whole enterprise. It is remarkably absurd and, and silly, but I don't know. It just, it just worked for me and I, I thought he was adorable. One thing I would say about being kind of out of the Bill and Ted loop is the, it was one part of the film where I definitely felt like I didn't I didn't get it because I didn't know the backstory and the history of what had happened with death. And I wished I had. I, like, I think I might have actually enjoyed their interactions and what was said and all the references because it did seem like a fun character. It seemed like a character that had a bit more depth and a bit more to say and was a bit funnier than other people. But like, if you haven't seen Bogus Adventure, because he he doesn't feature in Excellent Adventure, or sorry, Bogus Journey, he doesn't feature in Excellent, Excellent Adventure. I did wish I had seen that. So I had the background and the history of what went on. And I think I probably would have enjoyed that character. Because yeah, it seemed funny. He seemed like... Like he's a great actor, but it just it just didn't make any sense to me because I just didn't have any context for it. So it was like this, see, this big joke that I was like is, left out. This is of. where you're not watching the second one out of protest no, has cost you. I Norma. made a stupid mistake. <laughs> yeah, I thought uh, William Sadler was great in this. Like it's a 
you know, it's a, it's a bit of a rehash of Pogus Journey, but like it's a really good one. And he's like the standout in that movie. Probably still is kind of the standout in this, even though he has kind of a reduced role. Like him playing like hopscotch with himself and cheating is like fantastic. And yeah, I love when he just starts going through like the litany of like jazz bass albums that he has like pale on pale. <laughs> it's like a really good joke. Um, yeah, just happy to see him back. The accent is absolutely, you know, crazy again. I think he, he, I think he was said when he, when he was doing Bogus Journey, cause like he's most people, you'd know him, you know, if you obviously you wouldn't recognize him in his, his death makeup, but like he's like a staple of 80s and 90s action. He's like one of the lead villains in Die Hard 2. You're introduced to him doing like basically like nude yoga in a hotel at <laughs> Die Hard 2. Um, so like it's, it's such a kind of playing against the kind of, what you expect of him. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was happy to see him back and looking great for 70. Yeah. Let me tell you. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like, like it's, it's, it's slight as hell. It's really silly. I thought I had huge heart, but I wouldn't necessarily like rebel against Norma's take on it. It is incredibly, I, I think I went in wanting to like it, you know, I think I was very much like, this will be fun. I hope it, I hope it makes me laugh a few times, and it made me laugh more than I thought it would. And ultimately, to me, it was just a case of like, I'm just glad that they got to do it. I think it was just a nice thing in a year of bad things. So that may very well have affected it. Three and a half out of five from me, easily. Easily, easily. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh god, it's a wholesome I've actually, gem. <laughs> I've been like going over and back in my mind all of today because I was like, I feel like they're going to ask for how many stars. I feel like they will. And I would prefix this number of stars with like just like a note to say that because I do think you will benefit massively from having seen the other two films and being a fan of the franchise. It is most definitely for the fans. I don't think it's for young kids to get them interested in the franchise or to get to just pull people in necessarily. There's a lot of in-jokes and there's a lot of stuff going on that I didn't get, that I didn't find funny. Maybe if I'd seen the other two, I might have found them funny. I might still have thought it was trash. I don't know. One out of five. Oof. Oh, that's ruthless. Um, (laughs) Don't care. Don't care. They could have died. I wouldn't have cared. (laughs) But before I reveal my grade, um, we didn't really talk about Keanu. And one of the things I find interesting about this movie i think alex winter is great in this movie i think he has like energy like he drives this movie i think keanu is really bad in this (laughs) (laughs) he's tired i'll say that much so you know the you know i was saying like the, the subtext of the first two movies is that they're stoners and in this movie it's like you know has has ted you know you know did he get a did he did he pull a muscle in his back and like have to take a couple of volume and now he's just like he's just like on them all the whole time Keanu Reeves is, you know, and this is something that people may have like put against him in the past and I would disagree with. He's so wooden in this. He, he just, he just doesn't seem like he wants to be there, like completely, you know, particularly when he's like, he shares every single scene with Alex Winter, who's like a giddy child and, you know, more power to the movie because of that. But yeah, uh, Keanu in it, like the, the, the original movies, like, and, and even going back to the original movies, like Alex Winter is better in the original movies than Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves gets by on the fact that he's like very handsome, has like a really good boyish charm. Like if you've seen Parenthood, he pops up in that. And just like, 
just the aura that he puts across is enough to get him by and it has been enough to get him by in like some other movies and I think that he's got a lot better as the years have gone on but like there's something about him in this that you know I don't know he just he doesn't look right in this movie uh, you know you you mentioned John Wick earlier I don't know if it's a nod but it's it's very interesting that like um Bill is basically wearing the same kind of clothes while Ted is wearing a suit but it's a very pastel it's a very kind of like gray with like a a kind of like a soft orange shirt that is nothing he doesn't look like a he doesn't look like a guy who wants to listen to like you know Led Zeppelin 4 until the all hours of the morning while while Bill does I was like, oh, is that kind of just like playing on the fact that like he he looks very much like an impotent, muted John Wick with like he shaved the beard off. He suddenly doesn't look that tough. Suddenly, like the, the lines and the creases in his face become more prominent. But yeah, uh, Keanu is really bad in this film, which pains me to say, because like <laughs> I really, really like him. And I, you know, when people throw shade at his performances before and other things, like I think a lot of times he just works within the movie, like hit that kind of like, whoa. The, the the classic Keanu woe like works so well and if you put him in the right situation great in this one it should but he doesn't seem to have it yeah I mean I agree that he's a bit tired he's a bit wooden I don't think it's a bad performance but I will say that Alex Winter absolutely carries this film on his back his enthusiasm is incredible but look we could talk about it all day we couldn't it's an incredibly surface level film and it was what it was uh, there is a sorry there oh, no, is a please, really please, weird by all means stick, <laughs> a, stick a really the weird in, like <laughs> deep moment where when they meet themselves as older men and they get they get is it a usb stick i believe so yeah it's a usb stick and they get the usb stick and they're like we've got the song there's a there's like throughout this film i was trying to work out if the time traveling actually made sense like, as in, it doesn't, the time traveling doesn't actually follow any science, just by the fact Kid Cudi is there explaining all the science. I think they just time travel as they like and they say things as they like and it, that happens. Grand, fine, cool. I'm, I'm not that worried about it. But there's a really weird deep moment where before they're about to leave with the USB to go back to the now, they have a moment with each other and like Keanu Reeves turns to old Keanu Reeves and is like, I just, I feel like I never really, does he say I never really knew you or got to know you or something? And I was just like, what is going on? Am I missing something? I was just like, is this because he's been so kind of weird and wooden and sort of distant? Or is this an ongoing thing throughout the entire, all three films? I've no idea. No idea what the comment meant. I, it was so weird. Perhaps he's like a, a, a Ted doppelganger to, to really dry out this Twin Peaks The Return <laughs> comparison that he is the, the, the vacant vessel of one Ted. Are you going uh, to make it two episodes in a row with a Dougie Jones reference? Is that where we're going with this? <laughs> Fair enough. Like okay, it. listen, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the, 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 the axe down, the guitar axe down on this episode because, you know, it's a uh, tis the season. And I guess next time on No Popcorn, we're going to get all Christmassy. We're going to talk about this absolute classic, I'm sure. You've missed five doctor's appointments. Mum is scared. So, uh, tell me about the sleep. She never sleeps. Exercise? Not at all. Alcohol? Oh, she's drinking like the pirate. Okay, fine. Thank you, doctor. Thank you so much for your time. Let's go, Mum. Whoa! You! 
Again. What do you mean again? Did you follow me here? Are elves always so cynical? Yes. Relentlessly, these are dark times. I'm Tom. Kate. Last Christmas. Here we are. This is the bit where you murder me. So what is it that you do? I sing. Oh, it's amazing. Anyway, boring, boring, boring. I'm not bored. You are so strange. <laughs> where are you going? We're in there. Well, you're not homeless. No, I volunteer here. <laughs> Why didn't you just get Saint tattooed on your forehead? Yikes, that's uh, Amelia Clark and Henry Golding hitting it off in Last Christmas, which I believe came out last Christmas. And I haven't seen the film. I only I couldn't even watch the the entire trailer because it's three minutes long and I figured I figured it was about to take a bit of a turn there, maybe like characters might start learning lessons or something, and I I'd rather not get spoiled. So we'll see. All I know about this film though is that I think, if I recall correctly, this was critically murdered, wasn't it, Higgs? Do you know? Because you, you picked this. <laughs> yeah, so well, explain. <laughs> I I picked it because you know there's not a huge amount of uh, you know crossover between uh, musicals and Christmas. I mean, unless we were to go back and just do White Christmas, but I don't know if anyone really wants to <laughs> do that. So uh, this will be the first movie that we've done that is. Based on a song, so it's, it, it does qualify uh, within our very, very kind of, you know, thin rules, you know, whatever whatever our whim is, I suppose, we can kind of crow. You're more likely to crowbar something in than, than the rest of us. This is me doing it. But, um, <laughs> True, you yeah. know, it, 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 it did get a bit of a kicking, um, but it's got caliber. Like, I mean, you know, Emma Thompson wrote it. Paul Feig is, you know, a very good uh, comedic director and, you know, decent cast. Um, I don't know too much about the movie. I know that it, it it definitely takes some twists and turns. I think maybe I can kind of guess it if you're going to be basing your, your movie on the, on, on the Wham! classic. But uh, yeah, I thought it'd be an interesting one to do. Okay, well, it remains to be seen. Uh, interesting, though, we had a quiz on the last episode. Higgs busted out one in which I wiped the floor with Dahi, and I'm still I'm still sorry about it. Uh, I have a quiz, though, this time for both of you, and it'll be the same format. I've got five questions on either side. We'll go, you know, one after the other. Uh, it's about Keanu Reeves. So it's quiz all about Keanu Reeves, and we'll see how we can do. Higgs, I'm going to start with you. How many times in his career... Has Keanu played a character named John, Jonathan, or Johnny? John Wick. We've got uh, Jonathan Harker in, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Johnny Utah, Johnny Mnemonic. I'm going to go four. Right. So I, I need to caveat this one quick thing. When you say John Wick, there are three John Wick films. So technically, would that be him playing him three times or would you count that as one? Are you gonna are you gonna do me on a technicality here? Well, you're way off anyway. So okay. essentially, like uh, it's ten, <laughs> um, right? It's John Wick three times. A film called Generation Um that I think no one has seen. Constantine, he's John Constantine in that. Okay. Johnny Mnemonic, uh, much to do about nothing. He's Don John, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Point Break, and I guess Eleven if you include Johnny Silverhand in the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077 video game. But uh, yeah, you're you're off to a rare a rare bad start, Norma. Can you can you usurp him off the bat? Oh. <laughs> uh, Norma, your question: What nationality is Keanu Reeves? He's American, right? Oh, he was born in Hawaii. Is this is that Am your I guess? Am I wrong? I'm so wrong. Oh you're no, so was wrong. he not born in Hawaii? Higgs, you won't get you won't get the point. But uh, what what nationality is he, Higgs? Um, Keanu Reeves is Canadian, but he was born in Beirut, Lebanon. 
Oh, this is true. Canadian was the answer I was looking for. Okay, so it's right. zero zero so far. Higgs, back to you. Was true there or... any connection to Hawaii? Am I insane? Uh, no, there is a connection, and it may come up. <laughs> Let's see how these <laughs> questions continue. Um, Higgs, your question: True or false? Keanu once had a job sharpening ice skates. Um, I mean, you know, if you're if you're Canadian, I have lived in Canada, and I'll tell you something about Canada, David. A lot of ice rinks. A lot of ice rinks in Canada. National pastime. So I'm going to go, yes, he did. Correct. That's a point for you. Norma, back to you. It's another true or false question. True or false. Not only did they make a video game out of Arthouse, Francis Ford, Coppola's, Bram Stoker's Dracula, but in the game, you actually play as Keanu Reeves' character, awkwardly fighting off various monsters as you quest towards the big bad. Is that true or false? Does that game exist or not? No, I'm going to say it's false. The answer is true. It's a oh. real game, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. It was out in like the Sega CD, the Mega what? Drive, all, it was, and it was horrendously bad. Uh, Higgs, back to you. Keanu and Norma's going to get really mad for, no! for, for, me, crow, for, for me crowbarring in a mention of this film. Keanu Reeves originally signed on for a role in the 1995 crime epic Heat. After exiting the project, what actor took this role? Oh, it's got to be Val Kilmer. Correct. It was Val Kilmer. So that's two for Higgs. Norma, back to you. Question three for Norma. Keanu means cool breeze over the mountains in what language? It... Hawaiian? Correct. Yeah, I was like, that is what they speak. 2-1. Higgs, back to you. A lovely man, no doubt. But in what film does Keanu play a sadistic serial killer? Oh, God. Um, is it Siberia? Nope. Norma? I don't know. I don't know. It's a film called The Watcher, and the urban legend is that he apparently was tricked into doing the film. Apparently his agent or his assistant at the time forged his signature onto the document of the film, the contract, and rather than contest it, because he figured it would just be a really annoying thing to do, he just did the film, and it's not a good one. Norma, your next question. I'm what sorry, character... that, that last fact was mental. <laughs> it's very, it's, people say it's true. What character from The Simpsons is based on Keanu's character from Bill and Ted? Jimbo. Jimbo Correct. Jones. She's <sighs> leveled it up. She's oh leveled it up. And there's one more question each. Higgs, your final question. He once played bass guitar in a band and was bottled at Glastonbury by an unimpressed crowd. Can you name the band? Dogstar. Correct. That's 3-2. Norma, it all hinges on this. He has a small role in Dave Hanratty-approved arthouse film The Neon Demon. What is his profession in this film? I can't even, I can't even picture him in the film and I really liked that film. <laughs> oh no, really? Small role, but memorable, I would have thought. Memorable. I'm, oh, I can't even picture it. Why? <laughs> is he, is he a photographer? No, but it's a good guess. Higgs, uh, do you know the answer? No, because I don't like that movie and I've mostly forgotten it. <laughs> He plays the manager of a CD motel that Ella oh, Fanning's character yeah, stays at. A, oh my God, he's great in it, actually, yeah. Well, it was close. 3-2. Like, nothing to be sniffed out there. You both played very, very well. I enjoyed putting that one together. So, nice to bring some quiz parity back to business here. The important thing is, none of us did a dahi. Oh, listen, don't, <laughs> don't make that a thing. <laughs> You'll get really mad. 
<laughs> okay. He actually, I wish, I wish I had like recorded him because exp- I asked him how the episode went and he was just like, um, blah, 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 this, blah, blah, this. And he was like, oh, it's really tricky over Zoom, especially like quizzes are hard over Zoom. And I was like, are, are they? <laughs> I don't know what that would, they would be any different. And he was just like, I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> and that was it. That was all, all that was said. We'll get him back on the show and he can come with his own quiz. <laughs> it'll be good. He doesn't All like right. quizzes. Norma and Higgs, thank you both very, very much. Norma, especially for gutting through Bill and Ted Face the Music. I greatly appreciate it. Anytime. We'll be back. We'll be back, uh, I guess, in some point in December before Christmas, but last Christmas, which I'm, I can't wait to watch. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Popcorn. There will be No Popcorn. Be excellent to each other. Bill and Ted 3 was great. I'd love to fight. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Buying a home can feel like navigating uncharted waters. Redfin agents can help. They'll answer your questions with honest advice so you know exactly what you're getting into. They'll also help you tour as many homes as you want and show you what it takes to make a winning offer. With a Redfin agent on your side, you can sail straight to your dream home. Local expertise from Redfin. That's real estate done right. Tour subject to property and agent availability. Virginia Office Falls Church, VA. 844-759-7732. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.